0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to the inaugural 1570 Project Podcast. This is our spinoff show to the burn barrel podcast where you can find me with tom shattuck five days a week um i'm not going to take up that much of your time we're going to be here once a week uh breaking down things that i think are interesting you may have noticed back on the burn barrel tom cuts me off and talks over me a lot so this is my space where i can kind of uh get to talk about things a little more in depth with people who are a little bit more considerate um So today I have with me my sister, Jane Nolan. Um, She is an attorney. She is also a big fan of Taylor Swift, um who I've been fascinated by lately because she's doing something that's totally new in the music industry. And also here to help break this down for me is um, my friend that I've known for years and years, uh, Doug Polinary, a program director at iHeart Radio, to let us know kind of the ins and outs of some of these kind of industry. Uh, machinations that we're seeing happen here with taylor swift so you might be wondering why does Alice want about want to talk to us about taylor swift right now normally she's talking about politics and the second amendment and you know all these other boring things but today she wants to talk to us about this pop singer so um i'll let my sister kind of break this down she's been following Taylor Swift for like 15 years and, and why is it that Taylor Swift is in the news right now what is she doing that's so unusual
1: yeah so Taylor Swift is in the process of re-recording um, all of her old hits the ones kind of everybody knows so our song you belong with me should have said no her kind of classic hits that made her famous um, and she initially recorded those uh, with the record label Big Machine Records mm-hmm. um, with whom she had a kind of public falling out um, and, and so she's re-recording them and she's really making history because she's not just, other artists have re-recorded um, their music in the past to regain rights and we'll get into exactly what she's doing um, legally but it's really different because she's not only re-recording them, but she's re-releasing them and asking them to compete with her previous masters. So she's sort of competing against her earlier self, um, and it seems to really be working so far.
0: Well, yeah, so with the fans, for sure, on Spotify. So you mentioned the masters, that's like the main recording of the track the one you hear when you go on the radio so and i know that you and all the other swifties have now she's done this with one album so far you've now gone through your music list and deleted the entire old album and you're only listening to the new versions which are almost indistinguishable um but how is that going to work like on the radio i mean doug you would know this more so what are the radio stations going to do are we going to hear the new versions on the radio at all
2: yeah, you know, I think it's a, it's a tricky question. You know, there's a lot of relationships in radio with artists, but also with labels. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, there's a lot of things that that go into that. And there's a lot of those relationships are pretty high up in these corporations, these, these big radio right. companies. So I think it's going to be interesting to see. Um, but I think at the end of the day, radio sort of tries to give the people what they want. You know, uh, mm-hmm. that, that's uh, if, if the Swift fans and, and the majority of fans want to hear the the song she's getting the the money for and not Scooter Braun, the guy who bought her entire catalog and uh, who she had that big, you know, falling out with publicly. Uh, You know, I think radio will follow suit at the end of the day. You're looking for more listeners, not fewer. And I don't think you're going to get the people who are (laughs) anti-Taylor, which are few and far between to make Mm -hmm. up that gap, you know?
0: Yeah. I mean, it seems... Like, for most people, I think people would either be kind of agnostic about it. You know, I tried playing it for Tom, and he's like, I can't tell the difference, it sounds the same. <laughs> but, but I think if you're somebody who really, you know, who spent a lot of time listening to these songs, you can definitely tell in her voice. For me, personally, I have... I kind of prefer the old versions, so I know that that's, like, sacrilege. Jane. <laughs> I'm sorry, but I feel that they're, said? like... I feel that they're recorded in a particular time and place in her life. And you can't really quite recapture that. Her voice is different now. Her maturity level is different now. I mean, do you feel like you're missing something when you listen to them? I mean, I totally hear what you're
1: saying. I, you can hear her voice is younger. It's less trained. It's kind of now it sounds more mature. It sounds sort of like more Emotional, Mm -hmm. I don't know um, how to explain it exactly, but you definitely can hear a difference. I think that's true. Um, They're similar. She's made some specific legal or lyric changes um, Mm -hmm. in some of the songs that, if you're interested, fans on the Taylor Swift subreddit have completely broken down and analyzed. Um, what they mean and their digs at the record label, things like that. The other thing that's really unique and interesting um, is that Taylor actually added to the re-recorded album six songs that she wrote at the time that album was originally recorded, but that Mm -hmm. got cut from the album. Um, And so I think that's another thing that kind of helps this album compete is it's not just an identical copy of the original album it mm-hmm. has a few changes a few stylistic changes lyric changes and then it also has these six other songs which some of them are really good and I think would have been hits at that time as well um, but I mean it's a it's an interesting I've thought a lot about it obviously I'm biased because I love Taylor and I support her and I'm going to support her decision here and I think what she's doing is you know empowering and cool but I've thought about whether I think her characterization of what happened is credible, or if I agree with her interpretation, Mm -hmm. and that uh, the narrative, for those of you who don't know this this as closely, is um, she signed with Big Machine in 2006 before she was a big star. She was a teenager, I think 17, or 14, actually. Um, Wait, she was born in
0: 1989, was she not? So that would make her 17. So,
1: Oh, I have a quote that says she was, he believed in her as a 14-year-old. So maybe he met her before she signed. Maybe. But yeah. um, but she originally had, and she signed with um, or was working with the CEO of Big Machine Records mm-hmm. at that time, who was Scott Borchetta, and they had a really good relationship. There's a video of Taylor thanking him for her career and helping her and all this stuff. And the fallout really happened um, years later when, I think in 2018, he sold... The masters, so those are initial recordings and the rights to them, to Scooter Braun, with whom she does not get along. Um, Well, and this
0: was all tied in with the Kanye stuff too, right? Because he was part of making the video that Kanye made of her, where she was portrayed as being naked in it and stuff, and and that's so she has reason to not like him, certainly.
1: Right, and her reasons for not liking him are valid, and her kind of her issue was that. Uh, she wasn't consulted and she wasn't offered a chance to buy back her music mm-hmm. and it's an interesting point because like legally speaking Scott and Scooter are doing what's within their contractual rights and her stance isn't what you're doing is illegal what you're doing is breach of contract Hers is, what you're doing is morally wrong I'm the artist this is my music and you took advantage of a young girl like the record label had too much power Mm -hmm. but i mean it's when you're a young artist like would she have been able to have the marketing have the publicity have the connections if she hadn't signed with them and like you know were those negotiations there so that's the part i think is really interesting yeah
0: maybe not i mean i tend to think she seems to be the like machiavellian character in this really like she talks about how at the time she had no power and she signed away these masters and now they own them I mean she's still going to make money off this music no matter what I want to be clear about that Like
2: I mean isn't there a situation and as an attorney you know mm -hmm. you probably know better than I do but years and years ago going back to the Motown years and before that there were these artists uh, who, you know, wrote songs, performed the songs, and got no money. All the money went to the, the record companies and the people mm-hmm. who produced the records, and uh, and their managers a lot of the time made deals, uh, and they literally were were broke, you know, if they weren't touring and they weren't out there, they didn't make money. So they did change the law at a certain point, where if you write a song, I think you always own a percentage of that song, right? If, is it right. 50%? Yeah,
1: so... It's super interesting because it's so they kind of break it into different categories. So as soon as you write or create a song, like it's yours. So a lot of people think for copyright, you have to actually you know file for copyright to protect it, or you know it's not going to be protected. Anyone can steal it. But all filing for copyright does is gives you um, sort of like the paperwork you need to be able to sue somebody else for impinging on your or infringing on your copyright but as soon as you create something unique be it a painting a song whatever um you have the right to that song
0: so so that's like to the to the music to the melody and to the lyrics essentially to the melody and to the lyrics no matter who's singing it or recording it or whatever you own it and
1: yeah and that gets complicated when say it's like a rap song or trap song or something where the beat and the production becomes really involved mechanically um, in the song itself and then sometimes the song ownership actually becomes like part the producer part the singer but ultimately the singer still retains like a portion of that that copyright and then what happens in contracts now in the music industry from my understanding I'm working from the law so it's not exactly my expertise but I did uh, do some and kind of parse through it um, but usually artists will record and if they're signing with a big record label the big record label um gets or can get the right to the masters they can put in restrictions that stop the artist from re-recording the songs they can um get royalties on the song they can you know do different legal things to restrict the use of the song and maintain as much money as possible so often they're structured where the uh Record company gets like a big portion of the royalties. The singer gets um, a smaller portion, like 25% of the royalties, and then the producers get a percentage, like three to five percent of the singer's portion. So it's really interesting because essentially, like, what the singer is paying for is the clout and is the publicity and and all of that when they're kind of signing mm-hmm. away the rights. But I. I will say, I think singers with Taylor kind of on the scene, like Olivia Rodrigo, I know, spoke out and said, like, I made sure I had the rights to my master's after watching Taylor Swift go through this publicly. So I think that's kind of cool.
2: Yeah, but it is it is the kind of thing that, I mean, Taylor Swift is, is you know, her parents seem solid and, and supportive of everything mm-hmm. she's done. And these are things that have happened. I mean, you know, going back years i mean billy joel had the big story where his management stole everything and he owned nothing at a certain point Wow, um, you know i think but you get if you're a kid and you're excited it's more money than you've ever dreamed you were going to get sometimes it actually the deal on paper can look really good but a lot of the things you need to do to promote the album come out of your piece so you'll pay for the recording time or you'll mm-hmm. pay for the videos you pay for it as the artist the record company doesn't um right you know th- that was the thing that happened with van halen years ago they didn't do any videos for, for one of their albums because the record company wanted them to pay and huh. they just said no we're not paying so so there are a lot of things that in the fine print it must be very confusing so i understand i mean it is tough sometimes when you see taylor swift and house successful and how wealthy and how just what a life she's got Mm -hmm. and it does you know you say what's she complaining about like you know but i do feel like she it is okay just to be angry at somebody you really don't like owning your your music (laughs) and the guy who sold it knows you don't like him you know that that had to be a, a slap in the face and i think that you know i've i've done You know, much more for much less, I guess, of a (laughs) perceived slide. So I see where she's coming from. And I think, yeah, if it opens up the eyes and young people still getting into this business and it's a completely different business than Mm -hmm. it was, uh, you know, before the the digital age really was upon us, you know, when you were selling records. Now it's all downloads and the money that the artists make off the songs is very small. It's touring and it's it's merchandise and that kind of thing. So they need to be extra, extra careful. But it is a big risk for a record company, too. So uh, the mm-hmm. balance is tricky.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting because so the supposedly you know this was like hundreds of millions of dollars that these masters were sold for to Scooter Braun and this bigger record yeah, 300 company. Three hundred
2: million. Three hundred
0: million. So I mean they made this investment in these masters, and she was barred for a while from re-recording. So hopefully they made enough money to make it worthwhile because now I mean all the if all the Spotify downloads switch to the new versions and, you know, if radio stations start to switch over and this isn't just, um, you know, she did it with one album so far. It's six albums that they own and that she's planning to do this with all of them is already working on it. So that's a big financial And she has, Mm -hmm.
1: yeah, and she has already, I think, broken into like other industries with her new music, right? Ryan Reynolds, who's, her friend, Um, but he used her new recording of Love Story in his commercial for one of his products, and there's, like, a new Disney or Pixar movie coming out, Spirit, uh, like, Horses, Mm -hmm. that's using her new version of Wildest Dreams, and so, I mean, that's not necessarily, like, the music industry, but industry
0: Well, yeah, and what's happening is another thing that she's doing beyond just... um beyond just re-recording the albums and hoping to replace them for downloads and all these things, is she, as the songwriter, also has restrictive power over sync licenses, which is what they use for, um, like, if somebody sings something in a movie or TV show, and she has stopped granting those. She can't stop um, the record label from making money off just, like downloads of the old versions, but she can stop like T V shows from ever using the old versions. So they can't make any money off that. She's just brought made a blanket policy of refusing licenses for all those songs. So you know, they're really screwed in a way. I can't believe that they didn't think that this was a possibility, <laughs> the depths to which Taylor would go to screw them over. But, um, you know, I don't blame, yeah, just like I don't. to her
1: music, I, <laughs> you would think they would know. Right. She, she,
2: like, she, been the girl done. who wrote
0: the song, Pictured and Burn, you know, like. He, yeah. um, but I just, I think that I feel like, you know, they were in their rights to do this contract for with a 16-year-old girl who didn't know what she was doing, and she's within her rights now that she's a little older and wiser and more savvy to do this to them. It's, it's kind of incredible, the lengths to which she's going, but I mean, I don't know. Do you think now, Doug, like you talked about some of these older examples of artists getting screwed over, and I know artists do feel really strongly about their work a lot of times. Do you think this is going to become more of a trend with artists who do own their own songwriting rights that they're going to start to do this to because this could really hurt the rec- the record company in the recording industry if this becomes a trend where artists just say like sorry no now you can't make any more money off my music
2: well they i mean they are doing things something kind of uh, that mm-hmm. i've noticed over the last few years and, and it is in commercials sometimes uh, on television shows mm-hmm. and movies if you're in any place that that plays music publicly, they're licensing those songs. You can't just play a radio station or a CD in your mm-hmm. business. You need to pay licensing for it. So there are services that provide that. Right. The old Muzak company, you could get contemporary music, not just that elevator mm-hmm. stuff. But you pay them a licensing fee so the artists get their money. And what a lot of bands are doing, especially classic rock bands, right. bands from the, from the 70s, is re-recording with hmm. the current band you know how there's always like it's not it's the lead singer's the only guy that's still right. in the band or the guitarist or whatever so they're re-recording the songs and you'll you know I, I grew up listening to a lot of these songs so when you hear something that's not right you really notice it you know you're mm-hmm. like that's you know it, it might be this the chorus or a beat change or something and it uh it's weird if you really are familiar with the songs like i am but if you're a passive listener who's heard the songs just kicking around for years you mm-hmm. wouldn't notice and that's a way for them to, to get a bigger portion of the money. You mm-hmm. do it, you re-record it with a sessions band or something, so none of the guys in your original band are going to get the royalties on the, the new versions that you right. are now licensing. So, yeah, there's a lot of, I mean, a lot of different things and a lot of, uh, you know, no offense, but lawyering going on, you know, like mm-hmm. what can we do to, to if, whenever someone is getting a nice piece, someone's getting cut out. And that's sort of the way it is. And sometimes it's not like this where you can say there's a bad guy and a good guy. Um, Regardless of the legality, you can say Taylor is right. What they did is scuzzy. Um, You know, sometimes it's just a matter of there's a guy just wants to make more money and he doesn't care who he cuts out, uh, you know, yeah. The recordings.
0: Yeah, so I did um, see this story about the Rolling Stones. I don't know if you know if this is true or not, but they're, they famously, their song Start Me Up is in the original Windows 95 commercial. Um, that That was like, really, it was a big deal when they put it in that commercial. And supposedly, the The guy who was working on the commercial was like this isn't the original master of this song this isn't what was recorded like i know this really well he just happened to be a big enough fan that he knew and they had re-recorded it keith richards and mick jagger had who owned the the rights to the music and lyrics and they so that they could cut out the other people who had a piece so I i don't know if that particular example is true but i did see that out there floating around
2: yeah, because really the big money goes to the two, you know, if it's if it's Mick Jagger and mm-hmm. Keith Richards, are the, they wrote it and that's all theirs, and then they pay the bands off in a percentage, but if the band is not on the recording, the, the rest of the guys don't get anything. You know, Keith mm-hmm. and Mick will always get a piece because they are the creators of it. Right. Um, and, and I, I know it, it's happened, I think the story uh, we talked about, the, the, the Start Me Up thing, and someone had talked about that happening with another classic rock band where they got the version they were going to use for this big commercial. And they were like, this isn't the original, (laughs) you know, it was just off just enough, you know, that Mm -hmm. because you think about when things were recorded in the seventies on analog equipment uh, in these old, you know, 24 track or 48 track studios and the producers back then were doing things really, you know, without a a computer, like it was the sound of the room or where you placed a microphone or whatever it was to recreate that is almost impossible uh, you know, the, the everything is done on the computer, almost post recording. Mm-hmm. Um, all the effects and things are put on. So, you know, I think that y- the music can lose something. And and with the real fans, it's a problem. But if it's a commercial, or right. It's going to be in the background on on Grey's Anatomy or whatever. It's like, all right, well, let's make the money, and who cares, you know?
0: Right. And I, you know, I honestly feel like I'm okay with the idea that the people who actually made up the song should get the most benefit from it for the longest amount of time it's always sort of sat weirdly with me these the way you can like sell ownership of a creative work to somebody and then they own it like it's odd to me that Michael Jackson's kids make money off the Beatles catalog like it does I mean I know that like intellectual property is property and you can sell it but it just like it seems odd to me that when i listen to a beatles song paris jackson makes money like i don't it, it's just like i don't i don't think that like ownership of a creative work can really like transfer like that i i know that's like sort of philosophical but that's what i think yeah. of when i think of these things
2: well like, it's always tough got one of the big things people would always say when a rock band especially you know used a song in a commercial was they sold out. You know, that thing right. sold out. It's really common now and common for those older artists to do it now, but mm-hmm. they for years they didn't. And I remember it was, the uh, I think Bruce, I'm sorry, Bob Seger, Like a Rock for the Chevy, you know, trucks Mm -hmm. commercials he did for a while. And that was a big deal because he was a real working man, blue collar rock star, you know, that he would never sell out. And I got into arguments. I said, if if someone came to you and said, I will give you $2 million to use something you wrote and recorded (laughs) 25 years ago, Right now, I'll give you $2 million. I'd be like, yeah, take, of course. Like, who cares if it's a Chevy's a good brand? He likes it. You know, it's not mm-hmm. going out there to, to, to do something offensive. So uh, I think that was really when the dominoes started to fall. There's so much, uh, such mm-hmm. a huge change in the radio and records industry and how people make money that this is like a mad scramble to figure out who's going to be able to make the most off the new, which is still sort of in flux. Uh, you know paradigm in the industry because it it isn't it isn't records anymore it it's singles and it's downloads but people can still steal downloads so is it streaming it's licensing you know it's all licensing is uh, you got to pay me spotify or you can't play Mm -hmm. you got to pay me sirius xm every radio station pays licensing and and that's where all the money is right now um you know it's not sales to the individual anymore and so i think it's going to get pretty weird in the next couple Mm -hmm. of years they're in congress now they're debating how to how to pay uh, royalties you know and what is fair because you'll put radio stations potentially out of business if they have to pay too much money to the artist but the artist is saying well you wouldn't have radio without us and radio is saying well you wouldn't be an artist without us no one to know who you were Mm -hmm. so there's this it's got to, yeah and i don't know if that's even
0: true anymore with youtube out there i mean to be honest i'm not sure the last time i put on a music radio station because i just play what i want on youtube or spotify or pandora or whatever and i honestly don't and like so spotify and pandora do pay fees but spotify has come under scrutiny before for not paying enough taylor swift famously quit them a few years ago too because (laughs) they weren't paying artists enough so you know uh, i don't know it is it is a weird thing and doing podcasting too podcasts are really like the Wild West of using other people's yeah. <laughs> creative works. People keep doing it, like, you know, uh, and I'm, like, a rule follower, so I get very nervous about using stuff. I mean, in a way, YouTube's great for that because YouTube lets you use stuff, but they just monetize it for the person that owns the content instead of for you. They just pay royalties, essentially, to whoever owns it. So, because they can recognize what you've put on from when you upload it. Right. They hear it.
2: Right. And they well, do, they do they- know... No, oh, go ahead. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry.
1: Oh, sorry. Go ahead.
2: Thanks. Oh, no. Just when, when you use things in podcasts, you know, as soon as something's on the internet, there are, you know, algorithms that are hunting for music, mm-hmm. even bits of it. And it's amazing how quickly you'll get shut down, uh, you know, on the big platforms. Oh, yeah. Like really Spotify quick, like and
0: stuff, Anchor. A lot yeah. of them will yeah. automatically grab content right off and like shut down accounts for it.
2: I've had it happen to, on Facebook where we were mm-hmm. doing a Facebook live for the radio station and there was a song playing just in the room because we were on the air while we were mm-hmm. doing it and they blocked it because that song was coming through and you know we weren't licensed to use it obviously it was a, you know, so even though the mm-hmm. radio station's paying the licensing that's just for the signal that you're you know, licensed to air it right. on uh, and it's made the internet stuff tough because podcasts are so big and you're right, even if you want to take a show you did on the radio or make it a podcast you have to scrub all the copyrighted music off it uh it's weird and and hopefully it gets easier at some point you know
0: right i mean i think that's one reason the youtube thing is so good because they have made it really easy you know they they don't usually take it down facebook will just take stuff right down um tom always gets his videos muted because he's always taking videos like in the car and there's music playing and his videos (laughs) always end up muted by facebook but um but yeah youtube leaves stuff up usually but they just you know, then then you can't make money off it. Whoever the artist is makes money off it. So I think that kind of incentivizes people to find something with a Creative Commons license or whatever, and YouTube has a pretty big library of free stuff. So I think they're really one of the platforms that's doing it better in terms of giving people the tools to do it in the right way so that they don't get in trouble because they want people putting content up on there as much as the people want to put content on there. It's just a question Absolutely. of finding the way. And I think... You know, you said like people still steal music. Like I think, because there are so many platforms that have made it so easy to get music either free or very cheaply, that it's really undercut the, you know, the illegal downloading market a lot. Yeah,
1: LimeWire
0: isn't really a thing anymore, right? LimeWire. There like, was Kazaa she- too. Yeah, Napster. Napster. <laughs> that was. Those are the days yeah. when you could get in trouble, right. and that was, that yeah. was a big deal. I mean, and. You know, people would track that too. There were kids when I was in college who would get in trouble because they would, um like somebody downloaded, the university didn't offer HBO on campus. Like you couldn't get it. So somebody downloaded, like, what was it? It was the finale of, um, oh, what's the show where they're like in Hollywood that was really popular around like 2005? Entourage. Entourage. Somebody had to Good download time. the Entourage finale and got in huge <laughs> trouble because they traced the university's IP and the university doesn't want to be on the hook for all that money like they could come after the student all day and nothing's the student doesn't have the money to pay HBO but they could come after the university and do it (laughs) I had
2: an intern who downloaded one of the Spider-Man movies oh wow I I, they called me and they said what the?" i went in i'm like you can't you can't download illegal movies to your work computer but they had they all of this is you know dated (laughs) by someone i'm like stop doing that you know i said i'm not going to say it was you but i know it was you don't do it
0: again yeah not here (laughs) (laughs) do that on your own time please
2: yes do it at home
0: exactly Uh, so i mean but it gets uh, back down to the issue of like ownership like who owns something you know right and yeah and i was going to
1: say too just thinking about youtube and all the other platforms mm-hmm. for music it kind of we were talking earlier about like the negotiations and what the record label brings to the table and what the artist brings and you know that like cloud and public- publicity mm-hmm. and now with the internet like that's not as valuable because there's ways to kind of publicize yourself and get yourself heard in a way that when it was just playing on the radio, like you needed a record company to have those connections and have those um, just like channels mm-hmm. for you to get your music out there. But now, I mean, there are people who've gone viral with songs and have fans completely on their own. I mean, it's still valuable, but I feel like that value is significantly yeah. diminished. Do you see people yeah. now go
0: who end up breaking through into the mainstream and on radio who never were signed to a record company?
2: No, I, it's it's. I mean, it's still in its infancy. This whole way that music's mm-hmm. out there, and I think both of you are significantly right. younger than I am. Obviously, so you are certainly getting, you know, things the way uh, people will be getting things as we move forward. I think it's it's you know rolling that way. Um, the, the, these businesses will probably figure out a way how to how to throttle it and monetize it because that's how they survive. But radio and right. records is still an enormous. I mean, the, the, the amount of people you get and, and the number of people that really become successful virally is is almost non-existent compared to the bands that make it with record company support. And there's mm-hmm. there's a ton of money that goes into it. And a lot of it is for every Taylor Swift, there's 500 artists that were supposed to be big that these record companies threw a lot of money into that just stiffed and nobody cared about. You know, you you need the most exposure you can get at the perfect time for you to get that exposure and i think that's where the record companies and the radio stations and you know i mean now it's it's sirius and xm and and all the different even uh you know channels on youtube and um things like that where it's that giant push that you need and it's got to be at the perfect time and there's a lot of thought and and knowledge that goes into that like what is going to break the next taylor swift it isn't a youtube video that goes viral over the course of a year to get, you know, right. I mean, you get things. Olivia Rodrigo is a great example. She is, uh, that, that driver's license was sort of a quirky song that became popular, but she's going to be a monster because she got signed. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and right. the label I mean, even a way, Bieber was a YouTube
0: that. star too, right?
2: Originally. Yeah. He's playing drums in Canada. Yeah. People <laughs> knew who he was. He was like, you know, a cat playing the piano, but, but <laughs> when they got him and, and they, they turned him into what he was, what is just, and, mm-hmm. and there's a, there's a talent and a and a, and a science behind that that these people right. really know very well, and and it is hard with just you know hoping people find you. Uh, the number of people that if I if iHeartRadio says Taylor Swift's got a new single out and they're going to put it on uh, 75 radio stations tomorrow, they're going to put put it on all of their web assets. And it's all in one day, this new thing is coming. You can't miss it. You build that sort of intensity that it would be hard to do just if you and I were really talented and had a YouTube channel and we wanted you know, to keep it uh, small and, and build it ourselves and not have interference. Everybody right. eventually needs that interference. Billie Eilish and her brother were recording in her bedroom, and that's great. A lot of people saw it and liked it. And that's great for the record company because they say, well, we know they have it already you know, market tested people. yeah 2 million people love it right. but we can get 75 million people worldwide to love it right. because we have that that so i think that yeah. they have to exist together if you want the big successes but there's there's you know what happens is you, you go into a room with you you've been recording music with your brother that you love and then the record company takes you in and they bring a producer in that tells you to change everything you're doing and then you know they they can be destructive too it's happened you know but i do think that for a while without radio and records it it would be difficult for the for the superstar to emerge the way they do now i mean even with with american idol you think of all the press these kids get Hmm. and if you know even if they win you don't know who half of them are anymore
1: Yeah, I can think yeah. of like
2: three. I know who they are. Exactly. <laughs> There's been how many
1: seasons? They're like 20 exactly. something? And Clay Aiken is one of them. <laughs> yeah. Let's
2: face it. That wasn't right. a win for anybody. So, yeah, I don't know. I, I think that it's going to change. But, you know, people figure out how to capitalize on new technology, and, mm-hmm. and the same old thing tends to happen. I think we want it to be very democratic, right? That, that everyone has a chance, and the internet helps that. We all have a voice, and that's great. But it's not really true, you know. the The big pop right. the deep pockets, have a much louder voice. I think.
0: Yeah, that's interesting. It makes me think of the whole K-pop industry. How much do you know about that? <laughs> it's like
2: <I'm> just learning. <laughs> about yeah. They're yeah.
0: like. Churning out these pop superstars it's i mean they so korea is one of these countries where they assign you like what field you're going to go into when you're like high school age you know like they do the tests and they're like okay you're going to be a plumber like you go to plumbing school you're going to be a physicist you go to physics school and like one of the things that they put people into is you know being in a boy band or a girl band, girl group, or whatever. So, and they're all, like, completely, like, Spice Girls manufactured, like, tryouts. They put them in, but they train, like, all day. They're there, like, until 6 p.m. at night, these teenagers, and they train them, like, the dance moves, the outfits, everything. They're, like, completely, from high school age, like, turned into these bands. And they're enormously, enormously successful. So, when you say, like, people know what they're doing and like know how to hit it and turn people into stars like there i mean there are definitely people out there and they're always going to be doing it and they're going to be competing with the people who are just like recording things in their basement for fun
2: so yeah the money makes it tough and bts is one of those k-pop bands i didn't mm -hmm. know uh, but i had a record uh, label representative come in and play the new song for me it's a good song moves and it's cool and she said listen take a picture with the the platinum record from their last thing and post it on social media and here are the hashtags you should use because i'm 50 i don't know i'm like hashtag what <laughs> i you know so but it it was immediate and it, because it's like bts army or something right you know so as soon as they anything it's like the swifties if something comes up about taylor <laughs> swift on any what you know taggable social media everyone knows it and they like it if it's good and if it's not you're in trouble you know the, the, they're right. coming after <laughs> you so it is amazing with the because i'm like who the heck is it? what korean pop band how is this so popular but it's international and it's crazy it's huge
0: yeah it's really crazy yeah,
1: that's... Yeah. go ahead that's funny i know that scooter Braun, like one of the first things um when he was selling he sold her masters again too i think it's a big hedge fund but when he was doing that, she went to try and negotiate with him. And before any negotiations about price or anything like mm-hmm. that, he wanted her to sign, according to her, a ironclad NDA that said she could only say positive things about him because I think he was tired of Swifties, like <laughs> harassing him on social media. Um, I would not want to be, yeah, publicly... Uh, I I
2: mean, Taylor is one of those, I mean, I think that people in that industry might think it's us, you know, because you see what happened Mm -hmm. to Whitney Houston and big artists from the 80s and 90s that got as big as you could get, but the record company still controlled everything. And I think that these guys still think that's how it's going to work. And Taylor Swift, that's not Taylor Swift. I mean, Taylor Swift is a phenomenon. And I think that 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 she's, you know, the fact that an artist was too big to go against when artists like the Rolling Stones and Van Halen and I mean, big rock bands, they got pushed around by their record labels all the time, you know, and and Taylor Swift said, it's not going to happen because you made me the biggest star on the planet, really, you know. Yeah. And I think that's kind of nice to see.
1: And that's super evident, too, in. I mean, part of this whole thing was one thing that came up in her contract. She wasn't allowed to re record her songs till November 2020. And at the um, AMAs, she wanted to play her old music. And then she came out publicly and said, I really want to perform, but I'm not going to be able to because Scott Borchetta and Scooter Braun aren't letting me. Um, and they're claiming that in, because it was a live stream, it could plausibly be a re recording and in violation of the contract. And she, she basically said, they're only letting me if I sign that I'm not going to, you know, re-record for another 20 years or whatever. And she was like, so sorry, I'm not going to be able to play. And then they got enough pushback publicly that they ended up just letting her perform at the AMAs. So, yeah, to your point, I mean, she has all the power. Like,
2: yeah, even though the they had to be can... claim, she yeah. still got to do it. The industry can survive without Scooter Braun right now, it seems. But I think they, they need a Taylor Swift mm-hmm. because she drives so much. Like, she's a tastemaker as well. It's not just her music because the last couple of albums have been pretty mediocre. But but she's going to get all of the songs played, no offense. <laughs> I know a bad, but, but comparatively, you know, um, and, and I think that, uh, you know, she just is... She's a household name in a way that that not many people are, mm-hmm. and I think everyone knows her. It doesn't matter if you're 65 or 16, and she has a great brand in terms of, you know, she can misstep a lot more than your average person because she is she just seems so good as a person. Right. You know, she's right. done enough of that positive sort of branding over her career, and I and I think it's genuine. I don't think it, it was done. Um, you know cynically at all but but I, I think that yeah she's she's a tough one to, to mess with even if you're right
0: right, legally, right.
2: <laughs> it's just not worth the fight you know you look terrible
0: well yeah I think they're finding yeah. that out now financially that it was not worth <laughs> <laughs> selling <laughs> not the masters away from her because it's they're going to take like a, a big hit on this um, but yeah and I think part of it too with her especially is her very sort of public heartbreaks and love life and the way that her music she's been really open about the fact that like this song was about my breakup with this other famous person that you all know about. Yeah. she's been like super vulnerable and open about these things and really like let people into her world and her life in a way and since she started singing i mean she was singing about you know the high school boyfriend in a way that was you know coming from her this wasn't a cape and you know obviously she had a record company behind her but she was writing things that i think you're the one who told me our song was written for her high school talent show so yeah. she's writing I'm this sure song like an
1: urban legend but i think i think that's true you believe I've it never actually googled it but i've <laughs> right. heard i've heard that
0: yeah like that she's writing about these things you know because she wants to write about them and she's saying what she's feeling about it and what she's going through and it was it was something that i think They can't quite capture on their own without a Taylor Swift to be that person who's who's the emotional center of that. And that with social media and YouTube and everything, fans have gotten to know her and feel that they're a part of her life in a way that, you know, like, I don't know that people have been able to have that kind of access to the inner lives of musicians before.
2: Yeah, and she was not a manufactured star in that way. You know, her brand may have been by the record label and by mm-hmm. some management. You know, the country stuff early on, but she yeah. does. She, she she creates her own music. Um, a lot of artists are sort of hamstrung. They have great voices, but they don't have the creativity. It isn't theirs. Uh, mm-hmm. I think that that also made her stand out in a way because it's like, like you said, she this is her the, mm-hmm. uh, in the song. It's her feelings. It's her emotion. It's her words. And that that makes her someone that's much easier to root for when you've seen so much garbage come out of these labels uh, that that was sort of insincere. Her -hmm. sincerity, I think, made her yeah,
0: Fantastic. yeah. I think I think of there was some Miley Cyrus interview at one point where she was talking about the song like "Party in the USA" and somebody asked her like, "Oh, what's the Jay Z song that comes on?" And she said, "To be honest with you, there is no Jay Z song. I didn't write this. This is not my." She goes, this, "I think she said this isn't even really my style of music. I love that everybody loves it, but it's not really like I'm not that yeah, into I'm it." Montana.
2: That's what that was,
0: right? That so, was, yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean. So, so I think there's really something to that that she's like been behind her own brand in a way not a lot of artists are and that you can't quite recapture when you have the manufactured brands. But obviously the record companies would prefer to have a piece of that if they can, um, you know, and and I think that it's certainly I don't know that Taylor Swift would be who she was now without a record company and big machine and all right. those things. I don't know, Jane, how much do you think that plays into like what she became?
1: I mean, I think a big part. I, I and even just from her words, I rem- she's said multiple times. I mean, when she was receiving awards and stuff, very heartfelt things about, um, especially Scott Borchetta and Big Machine, and saying like, "You believed in me," like you gave me the ability. Like they let her be true to herself in a lot of ways. They supported her, and I think it. I think until Scott Borchetta sold it to Scooter, sold all of her masters and everything to Scooter Braun. I think she really felt grateful to them, or at least that's my understanding. And I, I mean, I think there's a reason she was thanking them, right? Like, they did help her and shape her. But I think it's a symbiotic relationship. I think, right, she she wouldn't have Mm -hmm. maybe got as far, but I don't think yeah to your point out they could have manufactured taylor sweat she's definitely I, one of a kind
2: i think too i mean the, the thing that's hard with, with the whole sale and her relationship with with big machine is mm-hmm. you think about like who can hurt you the most is the person that you're the closest to the person you love the most the person who you trust the most mm-hmm, so right. what he what they did with scooter was probably far more painful than if she had just sort of a a business relationship with a label that you know this is business this is how they're going to operate I don't have you know I'm angry but I'm not hurt I think if you hurt someone it's it's a completely different story and that's that's how she responded which was with strength she didn't you know play the the victim but um I mean not timidly i guess she did play the victim to some extent but it was aggressively and uh like i'm not going to take this but i think it was i mean she was probably incredibly hurt by that because i think she did feel really good about her relationship with big machine
0: Hmm. yeah so i mean do you think that um that this is going to change the way these record companies write their contracts that they're going to try and protect themselves from artists doing things like this now that this is going to you know, make it harder for artists to own their own stuff forever.
2: I don't know. I mean, I, I think it's a—it's definitely a cautionary tale. But I think there's on both sides, right? Mm-hmm. It's the—the the, both sides are going to be very um, strong in their position. So it'll probably end in some sort of compromise where a record label needs the artist. Uh, the artist needs the record label, so I think it's going to be hard for one to. to well, it usually was the label that got the, the longer end of the stick. That probably won't happen anymore, but I don't think they're going to be able to just write this out of contracts because people just won't sign them, right. and they'll find a label who will give them what they want if they're if they're hmm. that good. Right. You know.
0: Yeah, that it's certainly you like a brave new world in in the music industry and I think Taylor is like always at the forefront of that. I mean she's been a big genre switcher too. Like she was a country star and I I think a lot of people I like, couldn't really believe it when she came out with Shake It Off and that was like a total pop breakthrough crossover. She like, got
1: like kind of electric and reputation. It's like
0: Well yeah and now she did these two most recent albums are like this folky fluffy thing that nobody else was like doing that. She just decided like this is the kind of music I'm making now. And her yeah. fans went there with her. So I don't know. Um but yeah, if you if you're fighting the BTS army for dominance yeah. on the charts. I don't know who wins that one because it is uh, that is
2: gonna be tricky. I mean and that these manufactured bands, right? Everything is manufactured, mm-hmm. including the fan base. I mean, they're they're into it. Uh, yeah. But it is sort of, um, you know, a cult-like uh, indoctrination into the artists and into the music, and they mm-hmm. become very passionate about it. But you know, th- these aren't the Beatles. You know, this is like yeah. you said, five kids that have went to dance camp and, and singing camp together for twelve years. Um, <laughs> you know, I-, I wonder though, because it, again, it, everything is cyclical. Garbage makes money. People will create more garbage until people just won't buy garbage anymore. Mm-hmm. And then it goes back to artists that create something. I mean, if you, rock radio I always go back to just because I've always been in rock. But, you know, you think of the artists, the Led Zeppelins, the Beatles, the mm-hmm. Rolling Stones, the Van Halen, all of these artists that were unbelievably huge uh, artists that, that really, you know, changed music and changed the way the world looked at music and created a whole genre uh, from the blues right. and pop of the 60s. And and then we got Poison and Rat and Cinderella and all the hairband pop, Mm -hmm. bubblegum, really, but rock. And the the backlash against that after a while was grunge, you know, and you got these moaning Seattle misery (laughs) cases that were far too, uh, you know, self-involved in a way but it was you know people were ready for that and then that 80s stuff went away so it's going to you know i think that that's where taylor has been pretty impressive and i think can remain when you're that big a star you can remain relevant regardless of what Mm -hmm. the flavor of the day is but but that's hard for a lot of artists like k-pop will be huge and then it won't be and then it'll be whatever Mm -hmm. the new version of k-pop is in in four years you know
0: yeah do you feel like we're in an especially yeah sorry go ahead jane
1: i just—I like, can't imagine bts like singing a different
2: genre of music yeah, <laughs> no, they have one they're going on acoustic anytime soon bts <laughs> <Right>. unplugged <This laughs> isn't gonna happen
0: yeah, yeah no i mean do you think we're in an especially like highly produced era of music where it's very yeah. like manufactured more than usual
2: yeah, I think, I think for me, one of the things, you know, every generation says, this isn't music, Frank Sinatra was music, or this isn't music, mm-hmm. you know, Mozart was music. And, you know, then my parents were saying, you know, that, that heavy metal, it was the Beatles and, you know, Bob Dylan. And I really felt like I got to a certain age, and I'm saying, this isn't music, you know, what, what I grew up on was music. But I finally feel like I might be right. Like, they ran out of new things to do i don't know what the next thing is going to be because everything is just recycled old right even even the k-pop type stuff is just a spin on the backstreet boys or new kids on the block or or whatever Mm -hmm. you know uh, frankie valley i mean it's it's a manufactured group of cute kids that go out there and women are attracted to but it's not anything different it's not anything new and and you know i think we've gotten everything we can get out of traditional instruments we went electric with uh you know guitars and basses, and you know that was a new sound now you do it digitally or you do it with uh computers and it's just something's lost there it doesn't sound like it's being created by a soul in a way and you even saw that one of the you know uh the beastie boys were one of the great bands of all time Mm -hmm. and they but when they really became great was when they went back to playing instruments yeah. and then mixing okay. in the technical stuff with it. So yeah, I don't I don't know. I I wonder what's going to happen next. I just don't think it's going to happen with computers. I think it's going to have to be people creating mm-hmm. something.
0: Yeah, I think I wonder if
1: it'll be a backlash to just sort of people playing with their ukuleles. Yeah. <laughs>
2: That happens every so often. So maybe yeah, yeah. So
0: Jane actually we're about to release uh her single, which was produced by Tom, which is her playing the oh, ukulele. Awesome. So
2: I think that's huge.
0: Um yeah, so she's um experimenting in, in independent artistry, but so does so Tom, we'll see does what Tom happens.
2: sing on the track? Is Tom, Tom like...
0: does not sing on the track, no. Okay. But Alice I plays a little I, violin. I do play a little violin on the track.
2: Nice. I will put that on my uh, webpage for sure. Yeah, so you can uh-huh. find
0: her. Her YouTube channel is going to be Jane Nolan. Actually, by the time this episode is actually up, the YouTube channel will probably be there, and you can see her single Florida Sun on there. Um, <laughs> so she's Jane Nolan on YouTube. Um, and he is Doug Palmieri, again, of iHeartRadio. And uh, I'm Alice Shattuck, and this is my new podcast, The 1570 Project. Clouds
1: rolled in and I said, must have brought the rain from Boston, but you looked at me and I felt the sun.